1: I just, more than any place on earth, I felt wanted, welcomed, and known at her house. So I ate the cream chip beef. I ate it. You know, it tasted great.
0: Welcome to the No More Perfect podcast, where we talk about the messy, less than perfect, but real stuff of life. My name's Jill Savage, and I'll be your host. I'm so glad you're here. Do you want to reach out to others, but don't always know how? Want to be more intentional about being the hands and feet of Jesus to others? If so, today's topic is for you. And my guest today is one of the best. Karen Eman is a New York Times bestselling author and a Proverbs 31 ministry speaker. She has written 15 books. 15 books and Bible studies, including Keep It Shut, What to Say, How to Say It, and When to Say Nothing at All, as well as Keep Showing Up, How to Stay Crazy in Love When Your Love Drives You Crazy. I love that one. Karen's been featured on all kinds of media outlets, including today.com, redbook.com, crosswalk.com, as well as Focus on the Family and even Home Life Magazine. Her passion is to help women live out their priorities as they reflect the gospel to a watching world. She's married to her college sweetheart, Todd, and is the mother of three and the mom-in-law of two. And what I know about Karen is she loves sending handwritten note cards, she cheers for the Detroit Tigers, and she feeds so many people who gather around her beautiful dining room table, and I'm lucky to have been one of those as well. Welcome to the No More Perfect podcast, Karen hey jill how are you i am good i am good and if people could only see what i see on the screen right now careful now careful now careful this (laughs) is so funny because karen is sitting in her walk-in closet because it's the quietest place in the house and people think that being an author and a speaker is is really fancy no, you got a nice selection of shoes there behind you, Karen.
1: <laughs> no, so let me tell a story on you, so people think <laughs> being an author and speaker is fancy. I remember a time when you ran got got a run in your nylons or your hose back in the day when we used to wear those, and you switched with a friend right before you went on stage. I think that Trump's doing a podcast in my closet. So there. <laughs>
0: That is so true. Oh my gosh. That is so very true. I would agree. That was crazy. I remember looking down, somebody said, oh my gosh, Jill, you had a big run in your hose and literally backstage, I think I had maybe two minutes. I remember ripped them off and one of the gals back there ripped hers off and said, here. And I put them on. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was <laughs> if people only knew what happened behind the scenes at a Hearts at Home conference. That was exactly. that was so funny. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on here today because I think that the topic of hospitality is so very important, but I think we're so intimidated by it. And so I really want us to kind of cast a vision for why this is important, but help Help our listeners to understand practically what we can do specifically to reach out to others, to gather people in, to make a difference in their lives. So I'm super excited about our conversation today, Karen.
1: Well, thanks. You know, when I think of you, I always think of the phrase, no more perfect, no more perfect. So we're going to go with no more perfect hospitality today and no more perfect reaching out. Because I do think you're exactly right, Joe. People get this notion in their mind of what the world calls entertaining. You know, they mostly get it from, well, one of my favorite channels, HGTV, nothing wrong with HGTV if you use it as a resource. But what we want to do is we want to adopt all the shows as a lifestyle. And we think we have to have the perfect decor, the perfect gourmet food, the perfectly cleaned house. And when we have that in our mind, we're never going to get there. We're never going to get there because it's never going to be perfect. And instead, I really like to encourage people not to try to impress others with their entertaining, but to adopt what the Bible calls hospitality. And that's not about impressing. It's about refreshing other people, making them feel loved and wanted in your home, regardless of how new or how big it is or whether you're serving gourmet food or a frozen pizza.
0: Hmm. That is so true, and it's such an important perspective shift. It really takes that shift that because I think that we feel like we have to perform, and we got to take that performance piece out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're you've got a new project out, and it's a devotional. It's a forty day devotional called Reach Out, Gather In. How is this different than other books that you've written? And, and really, what was the impetus behind writing it?
1: Well, I've written traditional trade books, you know, that are just a regular book you'd pick up on Amazon or wherever it is that you get your books from. And then I've written devotionals that are like 100 day little short devotionals of about 400, 450 words a day that gives you a, a verse to think about, maybe a little story and some questions to ponder. This is kind of in the middle, This is a 40-day challenge. It's a devotional format, but it's a 40-day challenge. So each entry is a little bit longer. It does have scripture in it. It has a lot of digging into the Hebrew and Greek languages in the Bible to discover the original meaning of some of the words. And it really casts a different light on some of the verses that we've come to know over the years that talk us about hospitality. But then it's set up in a 40-day format. So it's not really that you do it 40 days in a row. There's Mm -hmm. eight sections and each section has five days. So kind of Monday through Friday. So the first three days of each section that deal with a particular topic will be more scripture, things to, to ponder. There are spaces for journaling, writing a one sentence prayer for the week on whatever the topic is and answering some questions. But then days three and four in each of the sections are super practical. Day three always has some doable practical help, practical help like clutter busting your home or um, doing some quick step cleaning to get your house ready. And then day five is always recipes because it's so funny. You know, here I am thinking I'm writing as my ministry and really hoping to touch lives for eternity and teach women the Bible. And the number one thing I get asked for is my recipes. I'm not kidding you. I can post a picture of making cheesy corn chowder in my kitchen just for fun. And all of a sudden, someone wants the recipe. In fact, I remember making squash soup the other night, and somebody (laughs) private messaged me and wanted my recipe. Who was that? Oh, yeah. Her name's Joe Savage. (laughs) So So, day five every week has just recipes, and it might not just be recipes from scratch. It might be ways to turn leftovers into something new, or it might be cakes and pies for your celebrations because, you know, a lot of hospitality has to do with family, especially in this day and age of Corona. We're not maybe having a lot of people outside our family over, but we're still spending a lot of time with our family. So, Mm -hmm. so there are recipes, you know, to love on your family too. Yeah.
0: Well, you know what? I think that we often think of hospitality as reaching out beyond the family, but there is a hospitality inside the home. Let's talk about that for a moment, because that's, I think, really important for us to understand is that that's really what homemaking is
1: about, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what's sadly the case, and has been with me, I'll be very honest about it, when we try to reach out to others, especially in the area of hospitality or whatever it is we're trying to do, we're trying to maybe make meals for a family that has just had a new baby or a tragedy in their life, often we're putting all our efforts and pulling out all the stops in those endeavors, and sadly, our family's sitting there eating tuna fish sandwiches for the third night in a row. In fact, I remember when my kids were little, I think I told this at a Hearts at Home conference once, I remember when our kids were little, if I would have a fresh baked pie cooling on the counter, or maybe chicken pot pie I was making or whatever, the kids would walk in and they'd go, oh, (gasps) blueberry pie. Who is it for? Because they never thought it was for them. Because like I would give them the store-bought cookies, but I would make a from scratch crust and my homemade blueberry pie for somebody else. And then I realized, you know, our family shouldn't be getting all the leftovers when it comes to our efforts, whether it's in the kitchen or whatever it is. And so I tried to adopt the rule that if I was going to make a homemade lasagna dinner for a family that just had a baby at church, I made sure my family got the same meal that night. So they didn't go, grow up resenting hospitality mm-hmm. or getting the wrong picture that hospitality is all about impressing and doing the big stuff for other people. But that's not how you live at home. Right, right.
0: And that hospitality at home, it, some of that is what creates traditions, Some of it is what makes home feel like home to us. I mean, that's why it's important to, I don't know. I I think the concept of a homemaker is being lost today somewhat. And I think it's really, really important. And when hospitality is at home, there's somebody that's being intentional about being
1: that homemaker, making home a special place to, to be. Would you agree? Yes. And I think you're exactly right about the traditions when you really put effort into showing love for your family and making special food or doing something zany, even with food, it makes traditions. Weren't you the one that your kids on their birthdays would get up and have cake and ice cream for breakfast? Was that mm-hmm. you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. What yeah. a great tradition. Yep. Yep.
0: And on April Fool's Day, I always served, I always served dinner backwards. Mm-hmm. They'd sit down to dinner and they just have, They just would have their dessert sitting at their table and they're like, mom, what do you, you know, but (laughs) I loved that. I love just throwing them off.
1: (laughs) I love it. That's a great idea.
0: So I love that. So Karen, okay. Let's talk about hospitality outside the home. Why do you think, and I know you've talked to a lot of women about this, but why do you think that people are hesitant to have people... Okay, outside of Corona right now, I know that you know we've got a situation, but people could be listening to this years down the road and Corona is no longer a thing, and they still struggle with having people into their home. What, what do you think
1: is at the heart of that? Well, I think we've got our brains too wrapped up in being the host, and we don't flip the script and think about the opposite scenario. When we are a guest in someone else's home, What do we think is important? You know, at the surface, when you're getting ready to have other people over, you think, oh, everything needs to be straightened up. Everything needs to be clean. Oh, this place isn't big enough. Oh, is my food good enough? But when you're a guest, you're not sitting there thinking, boy, now I really hope they have a big, nice new house and I hope it's perfectly clean and they better serve me some gourmet food. We don't think that at all. We're looking forward to spending time with the person that's invited us over. So if we can get that host brain, you know, that HGTV host brain out of our our minds and think instead what's important when I'm at someone's house. You know, I would actually be probably offended if I was at someone's house and they were running around fluffing all the cushions and making sure there's not shoes that are not straight at the door and and fussing in the kitchen and sitting there ignoring me Mm -hmm. when I'm sitting there on the couch, you know. So try to put your your brain into the mode of thinking what's important when I'm a guest. And I and that helps you to kind of flip that script. Yeah.
0: And, you know, I think this is where we can take a cue from the life of Christ. Man, Jesus was an expert at seeing people. Mm-hmm. And really, that's what hospitality is about. It's about seeing people, it's mm-hmm. about really spending some time with someone and tuning into their world, their life, getting to know them better. And that's a beautiful gift we can give to each other, isn't it?
1: Mm -hmm. I like to think of it as in the moment ministry, rather than letting your brain go to all the things on your task list that day, all the stuff you've got to do for work and home, but just really just focusing with your body language, with your ears, with your eyes on that person that you're with and Mm -hmm. being in the moment, focusing on them rather than having all this sideways energy in your brain going to all the things you've got to do. But it's hard. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy because I'm, you know I know if a neighbor stops by I'm like oh shoot I was getting ready for that podcast with Jill <laughs> but this person <laughs> wants to talk to me you know do I just go I'm sorry I can't talk or do I just trust that this interruption is sent yes. from God it's not yes. an interruption it's it's an assignment and so yes. I think when we can learn to think of people as assignments from God we can help our our minds to calm down a little bit and really focus and have that in the moment ministry and know that It didn't surprise God any that this person stopped over. And that's not to say that you always let other people interrupt your life. I'm not saying that. But sometimes we just fuss too much at the future rather than focusing on that in the moment ministry.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And you want to know what's kind of funny is I was just getting ready to get on with you. It was about four minutes before you and I were supposed to get on. And I look out my window and my brother-in-law is out out in my driveway. My brother-in-law lives two and a half hours away. Oh oh no, you're kidding. No. And I was like, what, what is going on here? And so I quickly text my husband. He's like, Oh, he came over. Okay. This is funny. When their family comes to visit us, there's a restaurant here that has these sandwiches that everybody loves in their family. And so he drives about three times a year to get those sandwiches. And he was just going to surprise us. (laughs) So, anyway, I kind of had that moment where I was like, I got to get on with Karen. And then I was like, no, I at least have to go out and give him a hug and I have to, you know, say hello to him and Mark had already said he was going to meet him. He he had told him that I had something going on in the house, so he wasn't coming in, but it was the same thing. At that moment, I was like, I I have to at least, you know, welcome him, see him, look right. on him. And so, I I'm so glad, but I had that moment of just that Mm talk. What do I do? (laughs) Oh my goodness. All right. So you talk in the book about something called go find your old self. Yes. What is that about?
1: Yeah, that kind of sounds strange until you hear the explanation of it. Well, I think so often in ministry and in life with those around us, we focus on maybe the things in our life that aren't going so well, the situations that have gotten us down. And instead of seeing life as a, an adventure in a ministry, we just think, oh, poor me, you know, this is bad in my life, blah, 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 blah. But mm-hmm. if we can adopt a mindset of ministry, I think it really helps to take the focus off of ourselves. And then my favorite mindset of ministry is this concept of going and finding your old self. So that's what I mean by this. When I was growing up, I was from home where the parents were divorced, and Mm -hmm. it was a very sad time for me. My dad left our family. He later came back to the Lord, and and he just passed away not too long ago, and he was a a wonderful, godly man for the the final decades of his life. But at this time, he was wandering from the Lord. He was drinking. He was abusive, and he left our home and just shattered everything Mm -hmm. I knew as a little girl. And I remember just feeling jealous of other people because their families were intact and they had nice vacations. And, you know, my mom was working as hard as she could to raise two kids by herself. And she had a really, really hard time of it. But I learned this concept as I got older and became a Christian and saw in scripture that God says that he comforts us Mm -hmm. so that we in turn can comfort others with the comfort we've received from him. And so, What happened, fast forward several years, my husband was a youth pastor. And guess who I often found sitting in our home eating chips and drinking pop? Kids in a family going through a divorce. And so I would see the Lord redeem that time. Like, I don't wish it on anybody. I'm not glad I went through it. But I could honestly look those kids in the face and say, I I understand just how you feel. Mm-hmm. And my husband couldn't, you know, his parents were married for 52 years before his dad passed away and he couldn't understand. Mm-hmm. So from that youth ministry experience, I I just started to adopt this little this little concept in my life of going and finding my old self. So, were you once a mom with three little kids, you were wrestling in the grocery store and you were frustrated and frazzled and and you were, you know, just at your wits end, if you see a woman like that in the grocery store, don't roll your eyes and go, I wish you'd keep those kids quiet. My kids never behaved like that. You know, they did. That's a lie. You know, they did. (laughs) Instead walk up to her, walk up to her, slip her a $10 bill and say, grab a treat for your kids and a latte for yourself on the way home. You're doing a good job, mom. You know, or were you once somebody who was lonely and in a brand new town and didn't know a soul and it was a very hard time for you? Well, guess what? Fast forward years later, now you know a bunch of people and you've lived in that same town 20 years. Go find somebody who's new to the town, who's new to the neighborhood, who's new to the soccer team sidelines and standing there with nobody to talk to. Whatever it was that you went through in your life, maybe that was painful. Don't don't roll your eyes and think, why me? You know, or or have pity on yourself and and think, I just wish I didn't go through that. No, go find someone in that situation now and do something to brighten their day. And in a way it makes your day as well.
0: Mm, That's so good. You know, I really talk about that a lot in my Empty Nest Full Life book and my Empty Nest Full Life journal. I have an exercise where I encourage women, because I think a lot of times when we get into the Empty Nest season and they're like, what do I have to offer the world? and Really, what I, what I say to them is, you know, I, I kind of have some fill in the blanks. In parenting, I experienced blank.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Therefore, I understand blank. Oh, that's so good. And same thing. You do it in all areas of your life. In friendship, I have experienced blank. You know, maybe in friendship, I've experienced a friend betraying me. Therefore, I understand what it feels like to feel rejected, and left out, mm-hmm. and then you get to leverage that experience. It's like, okay, Lord, if there's somebody who's rejected out there that I need to connect with, and that needs to know that that somebody understands, then help me to see them, connect the dots. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I think that that is so very important. But I've never heard of it from the perspective of go find your old self.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you're saying, go find your old self because your old self understands what this person is going through. That's beautiful. And that is hospitality Mm -hmm. because it's connecting to the heart of someone.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So you talk about something in in Reach Out, Gather In called soul sharing, soul sharing, S-O-U-L sharing. What is that? Tell us about that concept of that.
1: Well, I think in our current culture, there's so much surface sharing that goes on, right? We're connecting with people all day on our screens and liking their stuff and giving them a thumbs up and a smiley face. And there's a lot of connection happening that we think is real human interaction and real, you know, growing and strengthening of friendships. And it's very much surface sharing, but soul sharing is really giving someone else a peek into your soul and you hoping to get a peek into their soul and going beyond that surface sharing. That's what the woman who first told me about the gospel and for whom I became a Christian did for me when I was a, a lonely teenager at the house on the corner. She was the pastor's wife at the the church that sat just across the street on the opposite corner. And she first reached out to me because she saw me throwing a softball up in the front yard by myself because I had nobody to throw the softball with. Well, the church had a softball team. She reached out to me and asked me to join it, invited me to youth group. And I would often go over to her house after school and talk about hospitality and not trying to impress others. She would feed me leftovers (laughs) (laughs) and apple cinnamon tea. But you know what? It tasted like a gourmet feast when I was with her because she really looked into my soul. She went beyond the, you know, hi, how are you? And we all say we're fine. Most of us aren't really fine. But she would ask about what was going on in my family, what was going on with me at school. She would be very intentional in asking those questions, but then very thoughtful in following up on them. If I told her I had a, a huge exam coming up next Thursday, guess what? I would get a phone call from her. Of course, this was before text messaging. I would get a phone call from her on my landline asking me on Thursday night how my test went. Like She just really cared about me, my thoughts, my dreams, my goals, my my insecurities, all of that. And she went beyond just the surface, hi, how are you, and really got to know me deep inside. And then was, was very intentional in taking some of those little pieces of information and following up with them. And I tell you, she's still my mentor to this day. She's in her seventies and we still keep in contact, but she was the first person I really feel like I opened up my soul to and learned how to go deeper in a friendship.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. You know, you said she served you leftovers, but it felt like a gourmet meal. And what I, what, struck me as you said that and i was listening to you describe it is she served you leftovers but she also served you connection mm-hmm. and the reason it felt like a gourmet meal was because of the connection
1: yes that was there yes and and i wish i could remember who said it my daughter and i were just talking about this the other day i hate when i can't give credit to who said something but there's somebody somebody out there can google it and let us know mm-hmm. that said people well they don't care about being impressed but people will never forget how you made them feel. Yes. And I think that's so true. That's like with her. I remember one of her leftovers, they ate this a lot, was creamed chipped beef that was poured over day old bread that had been made into toast. And she would joke because that's what her, her father ate in the army. And I didn't even like beef, but I loved it. I'm like, to this day, if I see that on a menu somewhere, like creamed chipped beef, I'm like, oh, oh. So it nostalgic. takes you it back. So, yeah. And I don't even <laughs> like the stuff. But because it was served on a plate of love and in a room in a house where I felt welcome. I mean, her whole family welcomed me. She had little kids. They loved me. I became their babysitter. I just, more than any place on earth, I felt wanted, welcomed, and known at her house. So mm. I ate the cream chef beef. I ate it. You know, it tasted great. I love that.
0: Yeah. How we make people feel is pretty important and being able to see them. Jesus was an expert at that for sure. So one of the things you talk about is that an, an individual spiritual gifts play out in showing love and hospitality to others. And you even talk about crafting something you call a spiritual resume. So Describe this. What What is this and why do we need to understand how this plays out in our abilities to see others to show hospitality?
1: Well, I think so often we get our eyes on other people and their gifts and their talents and what they're doing and how they're posting on social media about what they're doing. And we think, wow, you know, seems like they have a perfect life. Seems like they're great at hospitality. Seems like they're, you know, in this wonderful marriage and kind of Give all this great advice. And it seems, it seems, it seems that everyone has a better gift package and and life situation than we do. And I, I always like to think of it as we're coming apart at the seams because it seems like everyone has a better gifting and a better lot in life than we do. But if we can learn to get our eyes off of those people and instead go to God and say, okay, life is a puzzle. I am a piece of the puzzle. What is my individual piece? What are my edges look like? And, yeah. um, and what are my passions, my talents, my spiritual gifts, that whole package that make you uniquely you is needed. It's needed in your family. It's needed in your circle of friends. It's needed in your church. And we've got to quit looking at other people and wishing we did life like they do. And instead, ask ourselves, you know, what is our unique package? So there's a whole section where I walk people through coming up with what their passions are and how maybe they can use them for others. And it might even be something that you think is not real super spiritual. Mm-hmm. For example, I have a friend, this is her, this is her talent. She's awesome at picking out colors of paint. Now that might <laughs> seem really silly, but I've had so many friends in my circle of friends that have painted their living room a certain color. I go, oh, it doesn't look good. I should have asked Carmen. Well, Carmen just has this knack for coming in your house and, and looking at the little swatches you brought home from the Home yeah. Depot that you think just are going to look fantastic. And she's like, nope. It's got too much yellow in it. Or nope, it's too dark. When you put the paint up, it's going to appear darker than it does on the swatch. And she's just got this knack. But you know what? She uses it to serve others. She willingly goes to people's houses and they ask her her opinion. And she's great, too, with, like, knowing where to put your furniture and all that. That's just a knack she has. But she hasn't kept it all to herself and just had her house look all, you know, wow, wonderful. She uses it to serve others. So, you know, what is your passion? And then also, you know, your natural talent. Maybe you're really gifted at crafty things and sewing. I am not. My kids knew better than to bring anything to me that needed to be sewn. I would hot glue it together. (laughs) Their badges on their their uniform, they always used to take to their dad because I would get out the hot glue gun. Or maybe you're an excellent gardener or you know how to change the oil in your car. You know, what is this talent that you have. Use it to serve others. And then go beyond that to spiritual gifts. There's some different resources in the book that I point to. I didn't want to try to, you know, reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of them already out there that will walk you through what your spiritual gift is. But I like to encourage people to first start with those who know you best, especially your friends, and ask them, you know, what is my spiritual gift? I used to Wish I had the gift of wisdom that I was just really wise and could see situations from God's perspective because I had a friend that had that spiritual gift. And I was jealous of her until I thought, you know what, I'm going to focus on my own puzzle piece. What am I gifted at? And I asked, I think, three friends, what do you think my spiritual gift is? And all three of them said encouragement. Encouragement. You use your words to encourage others. And encourage means actually to impart courage or to embolden someone. And I thought, okay, I got to quit sitting over here wishing I had wisdom and just start using my gift of encouragement. So as you think through these passions, these talents, your personality, I also go into your personality a little bit and then these Mm -hmm. spiritual gifts. There's a place in the back of the book where after answering a bunch of questions on those couple days where I talk about it, you go to the back of the book and there's this lovely designed resume you photocopy and then you actually write out all the different things that you came up with that are your unique package, the things you are, are hardwired from birth to do, and the things you are passionate about, and the spiritual gifts that you have, and how those can be used to make your life an exciting ministry, because you're no longer going to be looking at everybody else and thinking, gee, must be nice. I wish I had her package. You're going to focus on your own package and, and watch God work. Oh, I
0: love that. Oh, that makes me want to take some time and do that spiritual resume. I think that is a great gift. And it really helps us to look at what we do bring to the world, what how God has made us. And, you know, I mean, when we have those moments where we want someone else's gifts or talents, <laughs> when we have that moment, what we have to do is we have to be... We have to recognize that God has put that person in our lives to fill that gap for us. That's what friendship is about, is that we fill gaps for each other. And so he didn't give you the ability to pick out paint, but he gave you Carmen. And <laughs> so, you know, that that's a gap filler. And where what gap am I to fill in other people's lives?
1: Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you talk about something and I remember you wrote about this years ago in one of your early books. Was it A Life That Says Welcome?
1: There was a book called that. Yeah. But I Okay. Don't
0: and it was about um, taking hospitality outside the home, kind of hospitality on the road. Yes. You know, because there are even, I think of this from two perspectives. One is, Sometimes, even if we're okay having people in our home, we need to take hospitality outside the home. And sometimes we're in situations where we really can't have someone in our home for whatever reason. And we need to know that it's possible, you know, it's possible to take hospitality outside the home. So what do you mean by taking hospitality on the road?
1: being welcoming wherever you are and also using locations around your town or outdoors to be welcoming. So for example, yeah, maybe you want to have a new family over from church, but they have six kids and you don't have room in your house, throw a picnic, have it out in a park somewhere or in your backyard. Or maybe there are places you can think of where there are individuals who need to feel welcome, like the new Parent on the PTO or the new co worker at work. Well, you can do something to make them feel welcome by taking your hospitality on the road by showing up to work with a little something, a little treat or something, or maybe taking that new co worker out to lunch one day and let the local bistro or wherever it is that you go do provide the location while you do the hosting and you make them feel welcome. It's just mm. really trying to make people feel wanted and welcome in life, but it doesn't always have to be in your four walls. You can take your your show on the road. Think of the different places that you interact with people. Is there someone who could use a good dose of love and welcoming? Or th- think outside the box, those friends that you want to have over, but maybe you can't do it in your home. Think of some other locations. I like to think of it as being a tourist in your own hometown. Go on like your town's website mm-hmm. as if you were an outside person from a different state coming to that town, what are the local attractions? I did this once and I thought, oh my goodness, there are things in Lansing, Michigan, I have never seen, but they're big attractions for people when they come to our town. So maybe you let the local cool kids museum that has all this science and, and industry stuff at it, do the hosting for your friend and her kids and you take your kids along and, and there's a little activity there. And then you go outside to their little coffee shop they have, and you treat everybody to something to drink. So you've still been hospitable, but you haven't used your home.
0: Yeah. Oh, so very, very important. I love that. And, you know, I think back to when um, we moved to the community we live in now, which was 35 years ago a long 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 time ago but i still remember this there was a woman at the church that contacted me and she said, I know you're new in town. Did you know that there's a day old bread store where you can get bread at a, a big discount? It's over on the other side of town. And I said, no. And you have to understand in the community we live in uh, over on the other side of town is 15 minutes away. So it's not a okay. big deal. And so anyway, she said, can I pick you up? I'm, I'm headed over there. Can I pick you up and take you to, so that you know where it is? I mean, it was so thoughtful. And she saw me. She knew that I was going to need to be intentional about money. My husband was a new pastor on staff. Actually, he was an intern on staff at the time. And so I just, I loved that. And that was hospitality, Mm -hmm. you know. It was a beautiful gift. So your book ends with a powerful And really relevant story of a boy that you call Second Grant. Second Grant. So tell us about this and the impact it had on you.
1: Okay. So my son was homeschooled until he was in eighth grade. And then he went to a public school. We actually sent him to a public school that was a district over from our big school district. He went to a smaller one and he played football. They were state champions. I'll just throw that in there as a proud mom. (laughs) But on the football team, he struck up a friendship with this boy named Grant. Now, there was already one Grant in the circle of friends. So I called this guy Second Grant. And my son loved to have these guys over. I mean, our house was just always full of football Mm -hmm. players. There were always big piles of shoes by the front door. And sometimes I would be working away in my office with my headphones on and I wouldn't even know that Spencer had brought home, you know, seven, eight, 15, however many points <laughs> that were coming to my house. My grocery bill was very high back then. And I would be working in my office, you know, typing away, working on a message for a retreat or a conference I was going to speak at or a book I was writing or whatever. And I would go out to the kitchen to get another cup of coffee. And I'd walk by the front door see that big pile of shoes, not even know that people had entered my home and went down to the man cave in the basement where they watched their their sports and played their video games. And about that time, Spencer would come bounding up the stairs. And I always said the same thing to him. I would look at him and I'd say, oh, hey, you're home. Who'd you bring with you? Who'd you bring with you? And yeah. then he'd rattle off all the names, you know, Emilio, Jafari, second Grant's here, Jake's here, and the other Jake. And we had three, three Jakes and two Grants. And so I would just go, oh, that's great. You know, hopefully there's enough food in the in the cupboard and in the fridge. Well, around this time I was working on a message that really kind of ended up becoming what this book is about really reaching out to the people that in the moment ministry. And I would work late into the night sometimes. And my favorite time to work was Saturday mornings. I would get up really early because the house was quiet. If a bunch of boys had spent the night before on a Friday night, they weren't gonna get up and want breakfast till at least 10 o'clock. So I would get up at six and I'd go out by the fireplace and I'd pour myself a cup of coconut mocha coffee and I would type away on my message. Well, Second Grant was an early riser. And so he would often come up the stairs and I'm like, oh, great. And he loved coffee and he would drink lots of my coconut mocha coffee. And I would think, oh, my goodness, you know. I'm trying to work on this message about, you know, being in the moment with the ministry and you're kind of interrupting my time here. <laughs> he would plop himself on the couch and just go, Hey mama, okay, what's going on? What you working on? And I remember clearly the Lord saying to me, Oh, I get it, Karen. So you want to give the message. You just don't want to live the message. And so I shut my laptop and I listened to this boy, second grant. He was new to the district and he had quite a story of how he came to live in Michigan and the background to that and I didn't think that he knew the lord at all. I I wasn't sure but I didn't get any indication from that. I would tell him what I was working on and he never like said oh you know you know I go to church too or I'm a christian too or anything. But I would just sit there and practice in the moment ministry. We'd sip our coconut mocha coffee and I would get to know him. Well fast forward, I think it was about 9 months. And one Morning. He bounded up the stairs. He plopped himself on the couch and said, "Again, hey, Mama Karen, what are you doing?" And I told him what I was working on. He said, "Hey, what are you in Mister Eamon doing the second Sunday in March?" And I thought it must be because there was some big sporting event on, and they wanted me to, you know, make food for it. Mm-hmm. And I looked at my calendar. I said, "Well, I'm home. I'm not out speaking that weekend. You know what what sporting events on? What kind of food do you guys want?" And he said, "No, oh no, it's not that at all. I can hardly tell the story Joe without crying." Mm. He said. I just wanted to let you know that I have become a Christian and I'm going to be baptized oh. that day in March. And I want you and Mr. Eamon right there in the front row. And I just broke down bawling when I thought of all the times that I almost missed it because I right. was so busy and working on my thing. And I wasn't noticing that that guy sitting right next to me. And we went to the baptism and heard the story about his brother talking to the youth pastor at that church who led him to the Lord, that brother went and got Grant. They talked to to Grant. He became a Christian. Together, the boys went and got their mom. And she became a Christian. All three of them Mm. were baptized that night. And, you know, I think when we get to heaven, (laughs) the Lord's not going to say to us, you know, how big was your ministry? How successful were you were as a job? How many great kids did you raise? You know, I think the Lord's going to say to us, what I used to say to Spencer, my son, every time I saw that pile of shoes, oh, hey, you're home. Who'd you bring with you? Who'd you mm. bring with you? That's what I think he's going to say when we get to heaven. And we need to stop trying to go do the big things and and stop you know, comparing ourselves to other people and just know that God is bringing ministry right to our front doors, right to the couch next to us, right to the cubicle next to us. And when we can learn to really focus and lean in and listen to that person and make them feel welcomed and wanted and share the gospel with them if they don't know the Lord, it's going to make a difference for eternity. And it'll make mm. our lives exciting because we'll be on a mission. I mean, I love, like, even when we were talking about going and finding your old self, I'm like, wow, I haven't done that in a little bit with this whole Corona thing. What's a, a creative way I can go find my old self and still social distance? You know, it just gives you this perspective that life's not about you. You're on mission with God to touch lives for eternity.
0: Oh, that's so powerful. Yeah. 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 And really, I I know I've come back to this several times, but it just is who, Lord, who am I not seeing that I need to see Mm -hmm. or who am I seeing as a interruption that I need to see as an appointment, as an opportunity, Mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm every one of us has those people in our lives and i think that we look at it through the the wrong lens mm-hmm. and wow that's so very powerful and so neat to see that you know what a difference you made in his life he he felt loved and seen by you and he wanted you to be a part of that journey wow <sighs> Okay, that was powerful. All right, so we're super practical here, and before we kind of bring things to a close, you are the queen of tips. So I want you to give us maybe two home management strategies that you share in the book. Two tips, two hospitality tips, two whatever, but that are practical and they will help us to to maybe have our head and our heart in the right place. They will help us to be ready for whatever opportunities God gives us.
1: Well, I think we wrongly sometimes think about people that are really hospitable by thinking of them as they're super organized. It's not really about being organized. It's about being prepared. So I think a couple ways that we can be prepared, actually one of these One of these ways has something to do with you and Hearts at Home. I learned this from Elise Arndt. Remember, Elise was the very first keynote you guys had at Hearts at Home. Yeah, She taught me the concept of cook once, eat twice. And so one thing that I like to try to do, not all the time, but at least once or twice a month, if I'm making a pan of lasagna, I want to think about cooking once but eating twice. And what that means is I'm going to make a pan for now that my family's going to eat, but I'm going to make another pan and I'm going to stick it in the freezer, for that time that there is somebody who has a new baby and they need a meal t- taken to them, rather than stress and go, oh, I don't have time to sit and make something today. Oh no, I can just walk to my freezer and I can pull it out. In fact, one of the, I was saying how the fifth day of each of the mm-hmm. weeks in the book has recipes. One of them is all make-ahead freezer food. Mm. So my favorite things I've used in you know twenty-five plus years of marriage that. Has been something that has frozen well and reheated well. So, being prepared. And then, another thing about being prepared is just knowing that there are going to be times that you have overnight guests. And so, rather than stressing about it, be prepared. What would I need if someone were coming to my house tonight? Now, nobody is coming tonight, but I have time today to think about it. And I should because. When it isn't actually a day when someone's going to show up, I might not have time that day. So mm-hmm. I always, you know, whenever I go to my dentist and they give you that toothbrush, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mm-hmm. keep them in, in a certain spot. I don't use that toothbrush. I have an electric toothbrush. Whenever um, I'm at hotels and I've got the little soaps and the shampoos, yes, I take them. I usually ask, is that okay? And they say yes. So I'm not stealing mm-hmm. them. <laughs> um, but I, I have that. Or, and also maybe having a list of, things that would be helpful for a guest to know and have it in a little nightstand in a, a spare bedroom. If you have one, like what's the Wi-Fi password, you know, where are some local fun things to do if, in case you're having out of town guests for several days and you can't entertain them every minute because you work from home like I do, or you work outside the home, have some things that they can go see. Just think through if I were to have overnight guests, especially for more than one night, what things would they need and do it now so that you're not Mm -hmm. scrambling that day and going, oh, you know. and so I I just think it's all about being prepared rather than being super organized.
0: Yeah. You know, I've stayed in so many people's homes over the years. And I remember one home I stayed in, I stayed in their kid's bedroom, like they didn't have a guest room. Mm -hmm. And so I stayed in the bedroom, but they had a guest basket by my bed. And I, I later talked to the gal and she said, I just keep that stocked. And it's in a closet. And then anytime I know I'm gonna have somebody over, it's a way that I kind of turn the kids' bedroom into a guest bedroom.
1: That's a great idea.
0: Yeah. yeah. So it's make a head, you know, just keeping it in the closet. And it, I mean, it had little things in it, it had, you know, a couple of like protein bars, it had a toothbrush. You know, just some of those things that you talked about, yeah. Uh, the the Wi-Fi password. So they didn't even have a guest room, but she was able to um, still offer some hospitality mm-hmm. in a unique
1: way. One thing I like, I like to put in a little basket. I have actually a little tray I put on on the bed. Is whenever a holiday's over, go look to the chocolates that are marked half off, but that don't look holiday ish, right? So after Valentine's Day, they've got. Hershey's Kisses in pink, red, and silver wrapping, but it doesn't necessarily look super Valentines. Or after Christmas, they might have ones that are in gold wrapping or, you know, whatever. Look for those things that are treats that have been marked half off. And sometimes I find them 90% off, but they don't specifically look like they're tied to a holiday. And you can kind of tuck those away to throw some chocolates on their bed, you know, turn their bed down at night and throw some, some chocolates on their pillow like the hotels, the fancy hotels do.
0: Yeah, exactly. Ah, it's a beautiful gift that we can give to each other. All right. So a next right step, if you are ready to take a next right step in extending hospitality, pick up Karen's book, Reach Out, Gather In. It'll inspire you. It'll encourage you. And it'll equip you. Karen, where can people find it? Where can they find you online?
1: Probably the easiest place is just to go to my website, kareneeman.com. And Eman is spelled E H. M-A-N. And there's links there to all my social media. There's a book page and it has links to all the various retailers from wherever they would like to buy. They can find it there.
0: Wow, that's wonderful. Well, thanks for joining me today, Karen. It has been a delight. And, you know, before we leave, we should tell how we met because that is a unique story, isn't it?
1: We could do just a whole hour of Karen and Jill's memories, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it was the second Hearts at Home conference that Joe was putting on. And I had signed up, but I and I had said that I needed child care, but I forgot to, to say how old my Child was, and so Jill herself. I think you all were running the ministry out of a closet back then. We were, yeah, no office yet. You, Jill called me and said, "Hey, I see that you're coming to the conference, but we need to know how old your child is that you need childcare for." And I said, "Well, I haven't had them yet. I'm I'm pregnant right now. I'm due overdue, actually, a week." And let's put down like seven weeks because I think the conference was going to be in seven weeks. And I said, but you know, I don't know for sure, but why don't you just put seven weeks? And you said, oh, okay, well, it was really great getting to know you. And all of a sudden I went, oh, oh no. Oh no. And, and you were like, are you okay? What's going on? And I said, my water just broke. And so I ran, you know, rushed to the hospital and about 4 hours later I had Mitchell, our second born. And so I always know the day my friendship with Jill was born was the day Mitchell was born and my water burst right as we were on the telephone.
0: <laughs> I love that. Oh my goodness, such good memories. Oh, and that was way back before either one, either you nor I were speaking, writing, doing anything. Nothing. We were just Yep. Yep, exactly. (laughs) So you know what? We all need to be intentional about the people that we're doing life with. And I'm glad I've had the opportunity to do life with you, Karen. It's been a blessing. Same here. Well, thanks for joining us on the No More Perfect podcast. And make sure that you reach out and gather in and be the hands and feet of Jesus to those around you. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over at jillsavage.org slash podcast. See you next week for another not perfect, but very important conversation about the real stuff of life.